what we could call the mind, all the great prophets of the Old Testament. There's a few minor, excuse me, a few major prophets, and there's about 12 minor. And of the majors, some that come to mind are Jeremiah, Elijah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, who prophesied about the passion of the Messiah, of the Christ. But of all those amazing prophets and all the prophecies, there's one that stands out as most connected to Jesus. And that's Jonah, one of the minor prophets who we hear of today in our first reading. It's a very interesting correlation why that connection is there. I first learned about it when I went to Rome on a study abroad a few years ago. And with an art class that we had, we went around all over the city into churches, museums. And my favorite part is we went to some of the catacombs. So if you've been to Rome yourself, seen documentaries, you'll know that there's catacombs scattered throughout the surrounding parts of the city. Some are bigger than others, some are smaller. It's basically just an ancient burial site underground. It was often the place where early Christians were buried and where they would even meet to pray for the dead and to say mass in secret since it was illegal and very dangerous to be Christian. One of the more unique catacombs is the catacombs of Priscilla or Priscilla. It's on the northern part of the city. You can still visit there today, get a nice tour. But what's interesting about this particular catacomb is that it has art. So there's statues in some of them, you know, ancient sarcophagi and tombs with beautiful inscriptions. But this one has ancient graffiti. It's the coolest thing. You can email me later, I'll send you pictures or just internet search, Catacombs of Priscilla. And of note, there's two things. The first is an image of Mary nursing the baby Jesus. It's one of the most early images we have of her. Dates, I think, to the third or second century. And the second one, maybe you guessed it, is of Jonah. So we could ask again, of all the major prophets, of all the stories of the Old Testament that connect to Jesus, why Jonah? Why is he there in the catacombs? Um, And if we can answer these couple questions, then maybe we can understand why it's still important to us, why it's in our first reading today, and how it connects to our gospel. For early Christians, they saw Jonah as one of the most perfect analogies and stories to Jesus to his death and resurrection, and hence to everlasting life. And so it's right and just then that the place where people are awaiting for everlasting life, for eternal life, the catacombs, the cemetery, they would paint him. On the left, there's three images on the left. You see Jonah in the boat. On the right, you see him being thrown out of the mouth of this monster in the sea. And in the very center, he's reclining under an olive branch or a vine which is a symbol of paradise, of heaven. So they saw Jonah as a forerunner and almost a perfect prefiguration of Jesus, of what Jesus would do for us. Just like Jonah, he was thrown out by his own people. He would face death in its monstery grasp in a very raw, powerful way. After his death, he would lie in silence for three days in a tomb just like Jonah was in the, the, the tomb of that monster, its whale belly, for three days. And then after it all, he would rise. He would triumph. Rise from that tomb, just as Jonah did. And thus the tomb, once a clear symbol of death, of despair, becomes a symbol of hope, right, of power. And through it all, an entire city, Nineveh, an entire people, us, are saved. It's a really beautiful theology, all those connections you could draw between the two. 
Um, but we could even take it a little further, right? So if we back up in the story, this is the third chapter of the book of Jonah. If we read the first two, it's all about the sea, right? So he's getting on the boat, they're crossing the sea, uh, and a violent storm arises. So the sea in the Old Testament, the New Testament, all of Scripture was often portrayed as extremely vicious, as chaos. I mean, it's still the case today in our real life. Um, But back then, it was a little more powerful because they didn't have the technology we did, right? To cross the sea in the midst of a storm in a fragile, you know, poorly made boat uh, was very dangerous. So because of this, many ships, as much as they could, tried to hug the land. They tried to stay close to the sea um, and not go out into the depths But occasionally, going out into the depths was necessary, right? And it was dangerous. Either they had to go out there because they were fishermen, they had to make a quick journey, or whatever other reason. We could think of Mark chapter 4. It's one of the famous accounts of one of the storms on the sea with the apostles and with Jesus. He tells them, let's go cross to the other side because crowds are pressing upon him. So they get in the boat. Jesus is probably exhausted, so he falls asleep. It says he falls asleep on a cushion even. And before you know it, a huge storm arises on the sea. The apostles freak out, just like Jonah, right? But they go down and they wake up Jesus. He wakes up, comes upstairs, and it says he rebukes the wind. In Greek, the word is epitemesen. That's an interesting word, and I bring it up because if you word search it in other places in Scripture, it's used a lot. And it's used usually with evil, when Jesus is rebuking demons. When he's lifting curses from people, he says, I rebuke you, leave this person, leave this city. And so he's saying the same thing to this wind, to this storm, uh, to the sea, effectively. Why do I bring this up? Because the call of Jesus, the call of the apostles, the call of us to get into the boat and to go into the midst of the sea is not for the faint of heart. The Christian life is not always easy and sometimes It's a heavy cross to bear, right? Jesus says to them, come after me and I will make you fishers of men. He doesn't say, hey, do you guys want to go to a fish fry on Friday? I'm thinking about, you know. Or he doesn't say, do you want to take a Saturday afternoon and go fly fishing and just relax, you know, crack crack open a, a beer or something? He doesn't say that. He says, come after me and I will make you fishers of men. Focus on that word make too. There's a transformation that's necessary in the spiritual life. He wants us to go onto the boat with him. He wants us to enter those storms with him. And above all, he wants us to rebuke the wind. He wants us to rebuke evil with him. Then like Jonah, like Jesus, to die with him, to be in the tomb, and through that tomb, through that death, be transformed. To rise and to proclaim to the nations, repent and believe in the gospel, which is what we hear so powerfully in our gospel today. So brothers and sisters, the spiritual life demands a transformation. So we not only have to make sure we get on the boat, that we stay on the boat, but that we give everything to Jesus. That we receive the Eucharist worthily as best we can so that it starts to transform us from within. So we have the courage to valiantly proclaim to the culture, repent and believe in Jesus and the good news. Those early Christians, they had it right. It was good to paint Jonah to remember all these crucial things. So today, let's call him to mind, ask for his intercession, that holy prophet that came before us. We call upon our saints and angels 
to lead us always closer to Jesus and his most precious heart.